Amen. Thank you, Tom. We're on. Okay. Thank you, Tom. That's what I said. Couldn't hear me. Uh, I'm glad to be back in the pulpit. It was good to uh, take uh, an amazing Easter service. I think most of you were here uh, with baptisms and special music. and Just a great, just a great uh, Easter season together. And then uh, it's good to take a break and, and have uh, Pastor Mike preach last week. And I heard great things about his message. And it's nice to be uh, back, but back here with my home church. And we're going to be in First Timothy. We're starting a new series today. Uh, this series is called Vision. Um, and really what I want us to do to, uh, during this series is kind of dream together. <laughs> Looking at the scriptures, thinking about where God is calling us as a church. Uh, what does he want us to do next? Where is he leading us into the future? And actually, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 20 right now. So you can open there in your Bible. It will be on the screen as well. And, uh, and what he tells us to do here is to kind of look, look to the past, uh, see how God has worked, thank him for his grace, look at the present and what he's doing right here and right now, and then there's a charge to be faithful going into the future. Um, as I said, I visited another church last week. It was a great church. It was an enjoyable church. Uh, probably many of you guys would recognize if I mentioned the name, uh, but uh, very different than our congregation, a newer congregation, a lot younger congregation. Um, I think they're probably 10 years old, maybe, uh, if that. Um, they are uh, not, not the people that go there. I mean, the church itself is 10 years old. I thought that was clear. But uh, very loud music, very, you know, very different. But, and it was good. I learned a lot from it. But there's nothing like my church here. I miss it. Every time I go somewhere else, I miss here. I miss my, my church. And I miss it for a lot of reasons. I miss it partly for this. When I look at our past and its rich history of 253 years, when I look at the present and I see what God is doing here, it's, it's so exciting. But perhaps the most exciting thing for me is when I think about the future. And I think about what God is calling us to and what he might, what he might do in the days to come uh, going forward. Look with me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 20. This is written to Timothy. He's not the author, he's the um, recipient. Written by the Apostle Paul. These are called the pastoral epistles because they're written, uh, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, are written to two men who were pastors, in a sense, over a local church or a group of local churches. And so this is sort of Paul giving Timothy advice how best to pastor these churches in Ephesus. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. He writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save Sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, 
be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Looking to the past and to the present and being faithful into the future. And I want us to kind of consider that for each of us personally, kind of looking back, looking at the present, looking at the future. But also I want to broaden it and and think of it in relation to our church as we think of the past and the present and the future. So we got, and there's an outline in your bulletin. If you're someone who likes to follow along, please feel free to do that. We're going to break it down to three points. The first one, look to the past and see God's grace and His mercy and His love. Look to the past and see His grace, mercy, and love. Actually, in verse 12, Paul begins to talk about his own life, which some have seen sort of as a change of subject. So he begins this letter. This is an actual letter written by Paul to Timothy 2,000 years ago. He writes it as advice to Timothy to basically stay there in Ephesus and protect the churches. Uh, watch out for false teaching. Uh, rebuke those who are teaching false doctrines. And basically to protect the church. And then he starts talking here about his own life and his past. And some have seen that as a sort of change of subject. He just kind of, out of nowhere, starts talking about himself. But if any good writer knows that you sometimes use illustrations to prove what you're trying to say. So what Paul is doing here is saying, look at my own life, Timothy, as I look back and see the grace of God, not saved by works, he's kind of battling against a certain legalism here, and see God's hand of mercy in saving me, and then uses that, sets that as an example to Timothy. He says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, meaning, of course, as he says, Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul can't but thank God for all of his grace. He judged me faithful. He's the one who put him into this position of leadership, in this position as an apostle, who's now overseeing people like Timothy. God is faithful, considering especially his past. Verse 13, for formerly, this is how he describes himself, I was a blasphemer. Now, blasphemy is not a word we use too often, but blasphemy means to speak evil, to speak badly of God, uh, to curse God. Uh, maybe you've heard of the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is to speak, to curse the Holy Spirit, right? Blasphemy is, is one who speaks evil of God. And Paul sees what he said about Jesus as equal to blasphemy. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. Paul went from town to town chasing Christians, trying to arrest them and even kill them to try to stamp Christianity out of the world. And lastly, an insolent, which means arrogant or rude, an insolent opponent, one who is actively working as an enemy of God. That's how he sees his past. In a different part in Scripture, in the book of Acts, he's on trial with King Agrippa, and he has to sort of defend himself for his, for his life. And this is how he describes his own past. He says, though... Uh, Nope, we're we're going to put it up there in a second. He's on trial for his life with King Agrippa. He needs to describe where he's come from. And this is what he says about his past. If we could get it up there. There we go. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Listen to this. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul was responsible not just for their imprisonment, but their death. And he punished them often 
in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, forced them to reject Christ, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, even to places like Damascus, where on the road to Damascus he was changed. Paul was not a good man. (laughs) In fact, if we had to think of sort of a modern word to describe what Paul was, the best word I think that described him would be he was a terrorist. He was trying to kill Christians, arrest them, even the women, pull them away from their own kids and throw them into prison in order to try to cause a fear and a terror upon everybody else so that nobody would receive Christ. They would entirely reject it and fear for their lives. Paul was a terrorist. That's how he sees his own background. But as he continues to look back, what does he say? Verse 13, I receive mercy. I receive mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He's not trying to make an excuse there. He's simply saying, I didn't do this as a Christian. I didn't do this as a believer. I mean, there are certain things that would, I would hope disqualify someone from, from leadership in the church. Persecuting and killing Christians probably would be one of them. He's saying, I was acting as an unbeliever. I was acting in unbelief at the time. And God showed his mercy, verse 14, and his grace, which overflowed to me with faith and love that are in Christ. So when Paul looks back, what he sees is, he sees a clear record of his own sin. He sees a clear statement that he is not deserving of God's grace, but he also sees mercy and grace and love. That's what he sees. And recounts it, as he says here, with thankfulness. Friends, when you look at your back at your own past, what do you see? First of all, I think it's important, it's helpful to look back. Now, you don't want to be trapped by your past, and I'm sure many of us know someone, if you're not someone yourself, who is like that. They just can't get past some bad thing that they did or something bad thing that happened to them, whatever, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, and they're just sort of living, reliving that moment and they just can't move on. He certainly wouldn't say that. That's not Paul's situation. But it is wise to look back and to see how God has worked. Um, Look back and see your sins. See the biggest sins you've committed. To remember how badly you've messed up. To to think about how far you have fallen from God at times. And to think of His mercy and His grace. Think of the biggest mistakes you've made. You know, the biggest wrong turns you took in life. uh, The biggest failures you've ever had. And then think of how God and His mercy continued to be with you. And His grace and His love sustained you and brought you to this moment. Even when you think of your past successes and good things that happened in the past and how God protected you from a specific danger, the fact that you're alive here today, (laughs) that you're 50, 60, 70 years old and you're still alive, means there was a lot of protection that happened that you could be sitting here right now and listening to this sermon. And let it bring you to praise. I think of John Newton, the famous writer of Amazing Grace, the slave trader. He said, I'm getting old in his old age. And my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. He remembers the mercy of God, even as Paul does here. Thinking of his past and thinking of how God and his kindness has worked. You know, I think of, I, I'm no exception to this. Look back at my past, I see Huge mistakes I've made. I was, I was, uh, I made a lot of. I was became a Christian at 14, so fairly young. Uh, the Lord protected me from a lot of things by doing that. I uh, made a lot of mistakes up until age 14, 
And I made a lot of mistakes from 14 till now as well. Uh, they didn't stop because I became a believer. And in all of it, I can see the kindness of God. His mercy, His grace, and His love sustain me. Friends, are you looking back, are you thinking and considering God's mercy, grace, and love as you see Him working, bringing you to this point? And I would say when it comes to our church, uh, I, I love to look back and think of it. When I think of not just our church, when you look back as Christians, our, our long heritage, we see the same thing. Um, you can look back to the beginning of creation if you wanted to, or Adam and Eve, our sort of beginning forefathers there. Uh, forefathers there. The very, from the very beginning, God has sustained His people and His mercy and His grace, has always kept people to His own name. Think of that's really the story of Noah. Uh, Noah's one of those stories, interestingly enough, we love to tell our kids. Uh, it's not a great kid story when you think about it. God drowned the world. That's not something you want to go and rush to tell your kids, but that's what happened. But he didn't drown them all. He spared some. He found some who were faithful. And we're supposed to be the direct line from Noah and onward. But let's look even to just 2,000 years ago when you think of the church and God's mercy upon the church. Uh, he's sustained them. The church is guilty of a lot of things. Uh, the church has made a lot of mistakes uh, over the years. It's made a lot of theological errors. Right from the start, they were wrestling about the Trinity and had some misunderstandings about that and they had to fight through that. They had some various views about the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ and can he be both and that whole issue. They had a big debate in the 1500s about whether how we're saved. Are we saved by our works? Are we saved completely by the grace of God through faith? And, and God sustained it over all the years. The church is also guilty of many sins. <laughs> Uh, when you think of things like the Crusades, when you think of all that has been done in the name of Christ, whether by Christians or people who at least claim to be Christians, and the atrocities that were committed. And we look back and we see what? That God, in His mercy, in His grace, in His love, has sustained the church to today. I look back at our own church. I mentioned 253 years. That's a pretty neat thing that we have this long heritage here in our own congregation. And what a blessing that is that uh, we're a church that can look back and, and see good and bad. Um, think about all the church has gone through. Uh, think about all the difficulties it's faced. Uh, this church went through the Revolutionary War. A congregation. This church went through the Civil War. It went through the Great Depression. It went through 9-11. I mean, it's gone through everything this country has gone through for 253 years. And it has not been a perfect history. Uh, if you read the, the documents, you find there are times this church was on the brink of heresy. <laughs> there were doctrinal errors that it was wrestling with throughout the years. There were times in which this church faced horrible church splits, uh, where there was lots of, of anger and divisiveness going on, and there were lots of problems. It was, it's not a perfect, pure history. It's, it's faced a lot, and God has sustained it throughout the years. It has a lot of triumphs, don't get me wrong. It's not all bad. It's a lot of great things. Uh, the founding pastor, I love to tell this story. If you've, if you've been here, you know it. You've heard this before, but he was an evangelist. He was an early Baptist evangelist. He was the Billy Graham of New England. He literally went around preaching the gospel everywhere, planting churches and you know, leading people to faith in Christ, baptizing them, setting up new churches. And this, of all the churches, was his home church. This is where he came back to and continued to minister. Just read recently that he would take a deacon or so along with him every time, you know, by horseback, out into the backwoods of New Hampshire. You know, they're really the unreached people there. And try to tell them about Jesus. And that, that is the, in the very DNA of our congregation. In its centennial year, 100 years in, it was led by a guy named Augustus Strong. And Augustus Strong was a theologian who wrote a book called Systematic Theology that was used in Baptists and other seminaries for 
decades afterwards. And Augustus Strong led them not only through the centennial, but through the Civil War. There was a depth to this church, theologically, even as it had the breadth of evangelism, it had the depth of theology as well. God has been faithful to this church. He sustained it. But one thing they did is they gave us this beautiful facility. That was 1882. They built this enormous facility uh, and gave it to the next generation and to the next generation. As we sit here today and enjoy this facility, um, we do so because people gave generously to the work of the Lord, desiring to reach their city and to have a place of worship. So we look in the past, we can't but see the mercy and the grace and the love of God as he sustains us as his people in this church in particular as we think about the vision of this congregation. But Paul doesn't just live in the past, of course. Look at 15 to 17. He goes from there to look at the present. In verse 15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That little preview or pre-statement is one that he uses five times, and they're all in the pastoral epistles, all five of the occurrences. And most of them have to do with salvation. So basically, he's flagging it, saying, This is going to be very important, what I'm going to tell you. Remember this statement. And usually it's something that has to do directly with our salvation. This saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. (laughs) That's what Christ has come to do. So looking back at his own history and seeing his own sin, he's saying, here's the good news that Christ came to save sinners. And he describes himself by saying, I am the foremost. I am the chief of all sinners. We can bring up that next quote as well. Uh, Paul sees himself as exemplarily bad when it comes to sin. Uh, that he himself was a sinner of the highest degree that took the, the full mercy of God to save him. But more than that, he sees that his sin is still continuing. Uh, he doesn't just say, I was a sinner. That would be one thing. But that he is the chief of sinners saved by the grace of God. One uh, commentator writes, it is important to use the present tense because that is what Paul uses. His testimony is not that he was the worst of sinners, but that he is that he is the worst of sinners now redeemed. Paul looks at God's grace as not something just for the past, but for the present. That he's redeemed to know and love Christ even now. Uh, you might say, chief of sinners. I mean, I can think of worse sins than Paul, right? Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, that's pretty bad stuff there, right? I mean, how could uh, even Hitler or Stalin and the millions, how could he be the chief of sinners? Well, in one sense, certainly you could find sins that are of greater width in terms of their effect. You could find sins that are more gross and grotesque, like Jeffrey Dahmer's. But can you find a sin that is perhaps more spiritually damaging than this one? He is trying to rid the world of Christianity in its very beginning stages. He wants to try to make sure nobody hears about Jesus ever again. The, the, the way, the truth, and the life is rid from the surf, and that that message ends. And he's willing to not only chase and arrest, but also to kill to make it happen. And Paul looks back at his life and recognizes, not that I was, but that I am the chief of sinners. And what does he say about this? Verse 16, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the chief, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe for eternal life. That God could, in a sense, use me now, today, in his time, as an example. That if God could save me, 
then he could save anybody. I think about it, friends. If you're having a conversation with somebody, uh, this isn't an uncommon thing to hear, right? Uh, God, you don't, you don't know the stuff I've done, Rick. You don't know some of the... I'm not even going to share with you some of the horrible things I've done. There's no way God could forgive me. If I walk into your church, the, the roof's going to fall down. And, then when, and if it doesn't kill me when I leave, I'm going to get struck by a bolt of lightning, right? You, you'd have no idea the horrible things I've done. You would not even be my friend anymore if you knew what I've done. And the good response is he saved Paul. He saved a man who murdered Christians. Have you murdered any Christians recently? (laughs) His mercy extends even there. Paul's saying, one good thing is that God has used, can right here and right now use me as the ultimate example of mercy and grace. I have a friend who says, I'm not completely useless. I can still be used as a bad example. So that's an idea of what not to do in life. Friends, when we think about it, uh, what is Paul, verse, verse 17, what does Paul go from there? He goes to praise. He goes to worship. Uh, this isn't just a, a literary device. As he's writing this and he's thinking about God's mercy and saving him, what does he do? To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He can't but stop and praise God for what he's done in saving him. I think about what he's saying there, that God is the immortal. Uh, God, God does not have a, a corruptible body that ends. He is before all time. He is after all time. In fact, God himself stands outside of time. He is immortal. He is invisible. God's not made up of, of, of molecules and particles and atoms and neutrons. And he is spirit. He can't be seen. And he's the only God. There are no other gods but him. The triune Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is only one God and that's him. And he deserves all the honor and the glory and the praise. So friends, when you think about the present. (laughs) You think about the past. uh, What about the present? See friends, I think we can actually be too focused sometimes on the past. And maybe even too focused on the future. That we never stop for a little bit and live in the present. You know, just to recognize that. What's God, God doing right here and right now? Uh, this is a big issue for me. I, I, I tend to either be dwelling on the past or hoping for the future, and I'm living constantly about what might still be to come instead of saying, God, I'm glad you're at work right here and right now, and I'm just going to thank you for what you're doing right here. How is God using you right now? Uh, is God using you as an example, good or bad, for others? Is he using you as a witness for others that others might come to... Know Jesus, to hear about the, his grace. Are you stopping from time to time to do what Paul does right there in verse 17? To just thank him and praise him. Are you counting your blessings? You know, I was reading a book on happiness called The Pursuit of Happiness. One of the best books I've ever read, by the way. Written by a Christian, a uh, Christian psychologist. But if you ever get a chance to read it, David Meyer's Pursuit of Happiness. But he basically does the study of what causes happiness. What makes happy people happy and unhappy people unhappy? And kind of looks at that. And one of the clear traits of happy people is happy people tend to count their blessings. Uh, They don't dwell on what could have been, what should have been. Why didn't I become that professional baseball player? Or why didn't I become a millionaire? I should have become. They don't dwell on that. They look at their life. They look at how God, what God is doing right now, if they're a believer, and they give Him thanks. They count their blessings. They recognize His grace. That's what Paul is doing. Right here, God is using me. Yes, I was the worst of sinners, but now he's made an example of me to reach many. And he's praising God for it. 
Well, friends, when I think about our church, when I think about where we are right now, and again, for any visitors, I'm glad you're here. You're sort of listening in. You're welcome to do that. But I'm thinking about our church. We have gone through uh, an interesting season. Um, I've been as the lead pastor for eight years now. Um, the first three were pretty smooth sailing, I think. Uh, no big issues. And then and about the third year in and for the last five years, um, total <laughs> insanity. Uh, just been, in, been a crazy time for our church family in the last five years. We had a number of things happen, like our church merger, for example. Uh, we've, we've changed a lot of the staff and a lot of the congregation uh, responded in different ways. A lot of people left. A lot of new people came. It's been a, a whirlwind of a time. But here we are, five years later. And I feel like, God, what, what are you doing right here and right now? And I have to say, I am excited. I'm really thankful for what he's done right here and right now. Uh, let me just fill you in on some of the stuff that I think he's, he's doing right here and right now. One, we, we've, we finally, uh, we, we asked our, we've asked our elders to be elders. We've asked our elders to be biblical elders. To take the lead, to look at the scriptures, and say, this is the way the church needs to go. Not what is pragmatic. Not what is popular, but what does the Bible actually say about elders and about the church? And let's get the church going in that direction. And I'm really, really proud of our elders. Uh, we've added some new ones. We've sent some of them to the other side of the world. Not because anything wrong he did, but because he was a missionary. But uh, we've made some changes in the elders. But the elders have done a fantastic job. We've got a new constitution. Um, we, we, that sounds, for some people, that may sound like a kind of a mundane thing to do. Uh, but I believe our, our church really needed some order and structure. And it took a long time with an amazing constitution team to get to this point where we have a, a clear understanding of how our church functions. Uh, some legal protections that needed to be in there. And really to unify what was two organizations into one. Uh, so that the, the chaos and the, of, of uh, having two is now clarified and streamlined and simplified. That's a big deal. We've become younger. And you say, wow, well, where are all the kids? Well, they're all upstairs. Don't forget that, right? The kids are upstairs. Uh, we looked at statistically, we are about one quarter, 23% children as a church under the age of 18. So it includes teenagers as well. Uh, we've become a quarter children. I would have thought that was impossible 10 years ago, right? That's a, that's a pretty neat thing. Um, that does have implications on a church uh, to, be that, to have that many kids in, in terms of the total number of people. Um, but nevertheless, that's the situation that we're in. Uh, we are uh, doing some pretty amazing ministries. We're trying to have an outward focus. Uh, not only did we send a missionary out recently, but we're trying to get engaged right here in our own city. We've been actively involved in things like prison ministry. My brother Frank is sitting there right in, in near the front row. And uh, homeless ministry with open hearts and um, nursing home ministry and involved in the pregnancy care center. Maybe you saw the little letter at the back of your bulletin. If you, don't get a chance, if you haven't had a chance to read it, just read it. Uh, we asked for a little fundraiser and we raised $756. So thank you for that. It's a way of... Uh, just grabbing a hold of a ministry here in town that's doing a great ministry and to partner with them. And they're literally praying for us regularly. We've asked them to pray specifically that God would help us be the most evangelistic year in our church's history. And he's helping us do that. We're trying to engage the community more and more. We're doing it with our facility. Uh, so this coming Saturday, we're having Calvary Baptist come and uh, do, do uh, um, their installation service here because we want to have a closer partnership 
Uh, we're having a concert coming up here, and uh, we'll sp- probably speak more of that going forward. We want to. We have BCA using the facility now, and we want to bring in a, a, a counselor who atten- attends here uh, uh, from time to time, who's going to do uh, work for, who works for Leahy Behavioral Services and be their outreach counselor right here in our facility. We're regularly looking to use it to serve the community. We're trying to be engaged. Even having said that, friends, I still say if there's one area of our church that is still in need, is that we still need to be more outreach focused. And some of you guys are saying, Rick, when is that ever going to end? <laughs> yeah, but I think never, right? Not until Christ returns are we, are we really looking to serve our community and even make some big and hard decisions to do so if that's what it takes. Friends, I believe God is doing something very special, really neat right here and right now in this church's history. Uh, I love coming here. I said that. Um, I, I love the people here. I love you guys, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love doing Christian life together. <laughs> and if this is where I s- sort of end up dying, you know, like right to the end, I'll be happy if that's what God wants. I can't b- give you that promise, obviously, but if this is the church that he wants me to be with to the end, um, or at least to retirement, I should say, uh, probably wise after retirement to move on just to give whoever the new pastor is room. But nevertheless, I'm okay with that if that's what God wants. Because I love you guys. I love this church. I love what God's doing. I love the spirit of welcome and compassion and love for one another. I love the fact that I talk to newcomers all the time who say, every time when I come to your church, I'm welcome. People come up to me. They say, hi, they want me here. I'm not looked at, uh, talking to a younger millennial generation recently. He said he's been to churches where people look at him and say, or don't say, but they kind of give him the impression like, what are you even doing here? <laughs> I said, when I came to your church, tons of people came up to me and said hi to me and they welcomed me here. I love that about our church. I love so much. I'm so grateful for what God has done and what he is doing right here and right now. Not only am I grateful for that in my own life, but for this church. Now, looking ahead. What does he do in verse 18? This charge I entrust to you. So now this is something going forward, Timothy. Uh, I talked to you about my past, I talked to you about my present, but this is my charge to you going forward now. I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies, previously made about you. So people, the elders, laid hands on Timothy at one point. There were some great things, promises made that they believed that God was going to use Timothy in a mighty way. And he did, by the way, that some people even believe he was the successor for Paul. Uh, not an apostle, but somebody who Paul basically turned his um, ministry over to and that Timothy kind of picked it up from there. Great prophecies made about you. Uh, but here's the real command, that by them you may wage the good warfare. That you would fight the good fight. That you keep battling on, faithful to the end. That's what he's saying. Keep going, Timothy. Keep fighting. Keep moving forward right to the end. And he says, doing so, verse 19, holding faith. Don't let go of it. And a good conscience. You know, don't keep, keep morally going forward as well. Don't, don't give up. And just to give a, a sort of an example, he switches to the other side. Let me give you an example of two people who didn't act faithfully to the end. Verse uh, verse 19. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So imagining the Christian life like going from one shore to the other shore on a ship. And some people didn't make it. And he mentions two of them here, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They shipwrecked their faith. Now you might say, I thought once saved, always saved, Pastor Rick. What do, you, what do you mean they 
They shipwreck their faith. First thing I would say is I believe that statement, once saved, always saved, and I also believe that's a terrible statement. <laughs> I believe it's, what it's saying is true. I believe that terminology is terrible because the Bible never uses that type of terminology. It says that those who are true believers are persevering to the end and that God will preserve them to the end. Once saved, always saved gives the impression I just say a little prayer to Jesus, everything is forgiven, go live like the devil and I'm all set. Never, never does the scripture give any hope for that. If you know someone who said, well, they say a prayer one time and they went forward one time at some rally. Uh, they haven't never been living as a Christian since then. But my hope is that that one time they said a prayer. Forget it, friends. Forget it. You will not find a verse in Scripture that gives you any hope in that. Our hope is in trusting in Christ as our, safe, as our Savior. So from a horizontal perspective, you know, a, a human perspective, there are many who, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, sort of come into the faith say they believe, they come to church, they say prayers, they study the Bible, they talk about Jesus, and then they leave it, they reject it, they walk away from it. And that happens all the time. (laughs) Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples that he gives. Is there no hope for these two guys? Are they done? No, Paul says at the end of verse 20, that very confusing phrase, I've handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. What is he talking about there? Well, what he means is that was just a statement, a sort of idiom to say, I've put them out of the church. I've, I've, I've enacted some church discipline. Uh, because they were, they were living in this unrepentant sin, we put them out of the church, really into Satan's territory. That's kind of the idea. So they begin to recognize their sin, repent, and return. And notice the point, the goal is restoration. Uh, I want them to learn not to blaspheme. Notice they come to repentance and come to faith. It's not that there's no hope for them, but at least at the time of this writing, he's saying, here's an example, Timothy, of two people who have shipwrecked their faith. They haven't made it. The command to him is then to be faithful to the end. So let me ask you guys, this is a church, Are you planning on being faithful to the end? Are you planning on making it to the end (laughs) of the Christian life? Uh, It's a battle. Notice that. Wage the good warfare. It's not smooth sailing. Uh, People don't shipwreck when you have a nice, calm ocean. (laughs) You shipwreck when you're trying to cross a major ocean and you hit an iceberg that's in the way. Or when there are 20-foot swells of waves that are crashing over your boat. You shipwreck when there's a storm coming down and there's difficulty to get to the other side. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to wage the good warfare. I want you to fight. Keep going. Struggle to get to the end. Don't give up. This isn't easy. No one said it's going to be easy, Timothy. He wants you to be faithful to the end. Are you doing the things that it takes to be faithful? Are you in the Word? Are you, are you in prayer? Are you coming to church and hearing the, hearing the word regularly? Are you going to a community group? Are you serving in homeless ministry? Are you doing the things it takes to, to persevere in your faith to the end? Are you sharing the good news with others? Friends, you know, I've done a lot of funerals um, over the years. I think over 50 of them I've done, uh, which is a lot, I think, for a pastor of my age uh, because we had an older congregation for a long time. Um, but I would say this, whenever I do a funeral for a Christian, and I don't just do Christian, sometimes everybody deserves a good funeral, and, um, but when I do it for a believer, it's a victory. It's a victory, friends. It's, you made it. You made it faithful to the end. You, you didn't reject the faith. You didn't walk away from the Lord. You didn't give up. You continued to follow him when things got hard, 
and difficult, when things were successful and easy, whatever the situation, you were faithful right to the end. And then eternity awaits. That's what we should be hoping for. Am I going to be faithful right to the end? Going into the future, Timothy, seek to be faithful as you go forward. When I think about our church, (laughs) what does the future hold? Well, I hope it in many ways holds this very thing. Hopes it, it holds us to continue to fight to do the work that he's set before us. To, to be a church that is really reaching people for Jesus. Uh, to see a church that is flourishing. When you think of the future, the future can be kind of frightening, right? Because we don't know what the future really holds. Um, especially as things change so much. And I was just thinking about the future, even our, uh, not, not just the future of our church or even Christianity, but just what's happening in the world. Some pretty, pretty exciting things going on here. Uh, but it's just, it's just an interesting thing. And I got this picture here. Um, this is the Falcon Heavy, the most powerful rocket in existence. And uh, it was created by Elon Musk and his company, SpaceX. Um, and it's designed for really one single purpose, to carry humans into space and to get them to Mars. That's the, real, the goal. That's the real plan. His plan is probably by the time that if you're here and you're under 50, by the time uh, before you die, we should have a colony in Mars. That's his hope, believe it or not. So that's the hope. When you think about the future, here's some other things that are supposedly coming in the future. If you're kind of, you like this kind of stuff. Um, 3D printers that can make clothing. So your clothing can be custom made by 3D printers. 3D printers that can make food, that can make teeth. So if you're missing teeth, we can have a 3D printer make a tooth for you that fits the perfect size for your mouth. And 3D printers that will make houses in about eight hours. An entire house. So that's supposed to be coming, 3D printers. Uh, Safer cars. Volvo has already said that their cars will be crash-proof before 2020. I don't know if that will really happen. That's their hope. But more uh, than that, driverless cars or drone cars. Cars that are driven without a driver. You just sort of hop in the back seat. You don't take a taxi. Well, you have a taxi with a taxi or the Uber or whatever. has no driver in it. Uh, better and better virtual reality. Uh, so we can actually step into these games that will feel like real life or therapy or whatever it is using this virtual reality. Better and better AI or artificial intelligence. So computers that get smarter and smarter and begin to have a certain sort of their own thinking and their own intelligence. Uh, commercial space travel. Again, already in the works. So for a certain amount of money and you want to go ahead and take a little shot into outer space. Uh, you can do that. Uh, a Mars colony is, is again in the works. Uh, preventative medicine is going to sort of replace uh, a lot of our uh, health care. And that may include DNA and genome mapping. So to know all of the disorders and the issues that you're going to have well in advance. Uh, because it's right there in your DNA for any, anything that's genetic. And be able to treat or deal with it beforehand. Uh, vertical farms is a big thing with hydroponic plants. Uh, this is interesting. Synthetic meats. So our meats are going to be created in the lab, as, you know, so that's, that's what they say is coming. Or insects, because the world is filled with insects and, uh, and there's plenty of them. So better and better robotics, uh, robotics with personalities, so your dogs and stuff will be walked by robots, that's what they say, at least. That's the hope. Um, hypersonic propulsion for commercial aircraft, so imagine taking your trip that takes you on an airplane that goes faster than the speed of sound on a commercial aircraft. That's, that's the idea. Uh, that's in the works as well. Uh, this is another one, a Hyperloop underground trains. So you know those vacuum tubes that you see at a bank? 
that you, they're saying they're going to create these underground. This is, this is another thing. Uh, they travel at 760 miles per hour. And they'll get you from New York to Boston or to D.C. or whatever within a short period of time. The future can be a little scary and a little exciting at the same time. But when I think about our church and where we're going, our mission is pretty clear. It stays pretty much the same. We want to reach people for Jesus. We want to be a Jesus-centered community that is truly impacting our culture, impacting the world around us. I, was, I, uh, I did a little bit of uh, uh, crowdsourcing. In other words, I try to get people's ideas. What, what is an awesome church? I just threw this question out there on the internet, on, on Facebook, and I got people's responses. I just want to share them with you because I think they're pretty neat. Uh, this is what people said, uh, and some of you guys are sitting here who responded. Thank you. Uh, one person said, nurturing towards younger generations, including them into the family of God. That's a characteristic of an awesome church. Um, focus on reaching all groups, not just young couples or families. Uh, I've noticed a lot of churches, church websites focus on reaching people who have kids or married or are senior citizens, but don't have anything to, reach, to outreach for those who fall between college age and retired. Uh, being faithful to the text, preaching the word of God, administering the sacraments. Uh, one person put joy in Christ, pretty simply. Uh, the ability to be real and not be judged. That was one of our missionaries who said that. Um, Love God first and foremost. Make disciples. Spread the word of God. Uh, reaching out to the community. So if somebody's paying attention on Sundays. Um, gospel preaching paired with gospel culture. A fellow pastor wrote that. Uh, to let go and let God. So to trust God and his leading. Um, uh, a faithful church is one that teaches the word of God. Doesn't water it down. Uh, teaching the Bible as a whole and not omitting parts that some today may be offended at. Um, one person put, where the church, where the teaching gives comfort to the afflicted, but convicts those who are comfortable <laughs> with, with their lives. Uh, another person put, meditation, uh, hopefully meditation on the word of God is what's meant there. A heart to serve someone or something greater than the members, the great commission. Um, this is an interesting one, that, that we would sell the building, gather for breakfast, lunches, dinners, and snacks in homes daily, meet corporately in the auditorium at the high school, city hall, library, or just at the park on nice days, put 85% of the money gathered into serving the poor and elderly, have such a positive transformational impact on the community that even if they disagree with your message, they'd miss your presence if you were gone. I had a very specific goal there in mind, it seems like, for us. A hospital for lost souls. Ever-deepening understanding of union with Christ. Real people, these are all different people writing this. Real people confessing their failures. Common kindness. Fellowshipping and less than a month later actually saying you'll do something together. Uh, serving in community together. Solid biblical teaching. Non-judgmental and a Jesus-centered home to all. Healthy communities making disciples. Uh, one person said, I'll just summarize it, he said basically no greeting time. <laughs> he said, I'm an introvert. I hate the greeting time during a service. So an awesome church is one that doesn't have a greeting time. Um, prayer. And then the last one was to be humble servants. Uh, friends, what is an awesome church? An awesome church is one that is Jesus-centered. When I think of our church, I think of it, a vision of where we could be. I think this church is very special. I think God is doing something very great here. Uh, there are a lot of new churches here in Haverhill, and I'm thankful for them. And God is doing something new. I, the other day, Josh Williams and I were at a coffee shop here in Haverhill, meeting with a 23-year-old who wants to do his concert here. So that's pretty neat. A young guy, wanting to, just excited about the Lord. We bumped into another 20-something-year-old uh, who we've met before, and he's going to be leading our youth for one day uh, next month. 
Um, on, on the way out, we bumped into another uh, friend who's going to plant a new church here in Haverhill. So, yes, God's doing something here, and that's pretty exciting. But I think there's something special about old historic churches like ours that have a certain continuity, and that God is still at work, and he's doing something new and special going forward. We look back and we see the evangelistic spirit of a Hezekiah, and to see the depth of an A.H. Strong, and say, Lord, use us again in this future into the, gener- into the next generation. Uh, I talk to other pastors all the time. I'm meeting with a, I meet with a group. Well, we, they meet once a week. I don't always make the meeting. But the idea is we meet for prayer. And almost every one of them would agree that God is working here. And there even are seeds of a revival. And then some of these guys have been in ministry for 30 years. There's something special happening here in Merrimack Valley. Something very special, whether that's through new churches coming in or old churches being restored with the gospel God is doing something very special at this point in time. And I think our church is not only part of that, but I think we, would, we may end up playing a central role in that. I can see our church reaching not only hundreds, but thousands and maybe even tens of thousands for Jesus in its ministries and its mission work and even right here on Sunday mornings. Our vision, friends, may we be a church that is, that is filled with wow-inspiring worship. That you walk away on a Sunday morning and you've been wowed by being in the presence of God. That's one of our, our core values. Wow, inspiring worship. Not just worship, but worship that really makes you think and want you walk away recognizing that God is among us. Reaching out relationships, that we're a family, we're a spiritual family. So it, we're in relationship, but we reach out. We, we seek the sort of the one, uh, if, even if that means leaving the 99. Uh, that we are... When we say to one another, how are you doing? That's not just a little cliche statement. We mean it. How are you doing? Let's talk about it. We meet together in community groups and build these relationships. Self-sacrificial service. Not just service, but service that costs us something. (laughs) A willingness to give up our time, uh, to give up our energy, to give up our resources to serve the Lord, to serve His church. An open-hearted outreach. Uh, that we have a, a, a heart, a desire for outreach that reaches those who no one else is reaching. Uh, that looks to our city and looks to those who don't believe in Jesus and is willing to do what it takes to get the good news to them. Friends, our vision as a church is to be a Jesus-centered community. As we look at the past and see God's work over 253 years, and we look at the present and what God is doing right here and right now, let's hear the charge to be faithful into the future. Pray with me. Our gracious Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your presence with us as your people. Thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your faithfulness over 253 years with this church, but more than that, 2,000 years with your church and really from the beginning of time with your people. And we've always had a people for yourself. Help us, Lord, to see what you're doing right here and right now and rejoice in that. And then, Father, help us to hear this charge to be faithful into the future right to the very end. Protect us from shipwrecking our faith. Instead, let us hold on to the faith with a good conscience so that the others, Lord, would even one day perhaps speak over our funerals and use that as an example to others of one who was not perfect, far from it, perhaps the chief of sinners, but was faithful to the end. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's see you guys.